0: We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, Coming Up for Air.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Laurie from Coming Up for Air. I'm sitting here with my co host, Kayla Solomon. How are you this morning?
2: I'm good, Laurie. Good morning.
1: I'm not exactly sure of what we're going to call today's podcast, but why don't you take it away and kind of introduce the concept? The way I would
2: describe what we want to talk about today is working with reactivity. So when things are hard or when things are going a particular way and they're okay, and then all of a sudden they feel like they're falling apart or something difficult or bad is happening, how do you not have a gigantic reaction and get hijacked by it. And so that's what we're gonna talk about because from what I've been witnessing and the work that we're doing, what's really important is when we talk about how we're gonna change our part of the dynamic, reactivity is a gigantic part of it because there's so many things about being reactive that influence you and the other person and things could go south really quickly That's the topic that we want to really focus on today. It's probably one of the hardest things that you have to do with this and also one of the most important things.
1: I agree. I would say it is the single most difficult thing to do. It was for me on my journey. It continues to be. (laughs) I remember when I first started recognizing that moment when I did need to start calming myself down so that I wasn't reacting Boy, oh boy, every ounce of me was like, no, you need to react, react. <laughs> so it was really, really going against everything that I knew, if that makes sense. Every part of my, my being, every, every cell in my body and in my brain was fighting it and saying, nope, you need to react. Any suggestions? I think this goes back to what we talk about a lot, which is the
2: feeling that this kind of dread that goes on, and that's really what the reaction is about. This is horrible. It's tragic. Something terrible is happening or is going to happen because of this. And we go into our emergency response mode, which is I have to intervene with this because this is a crisis. This is something that needs my intervention. We lose our ability to step back. If we do it that way, we lose our ability to manage it because we get sucked into the undertow of what I call, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then you're operating in a different plane, which is just do, just do, just do. What do you do? What do I do? What do I do? And it's not the best place of
1: thinking. So this brings a thought up And that is oftentimes, you're right, that's exactly it. It's fear, right? It's fear that's causing me to react and not allowing me to kind of step back, calm it down, put some space in there. And the fear is, and it's so immediate, You're so worried, one, they're going to go out and use, or they're going to do something that harms them in just a horrible way, or there could be a loss of life, which is a real reality when we're talking about substance use disorder. But what's interesting to me is in those moments, we think that it's our behavior and lack of reactivity that's going to put them at a higher risk versus actually The reactivity, we don't recognize that maybe it's the reactivity that also puts them at a high risk.
2: Bing, 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 bing. Okay, bingo. That is such an important point because I think the hijacking is I'm actually helping here. I have to help. I have to do something. What do I do? What do I do? And by stepping back and pulling yourself back into the observer position so that you could actually calm down and listen and help the other person process. You allowed them, as I like to say, the dignity of their own process. So We're not intervening because it could be that they don't want any information. It could be that they don't want advice or they don't want resources. And by you jumping in and we know that's the first response is like, what are we what are you going to do about it? What about this? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? And if you want to be a repellent to somebody, start throwing out the 20 thoughts of brilliant ideas that you have, because it just it really you need to think of this as your you become this bear spray so like you have this big powerful push against this person and they can only pull back away from you it it is a very poor tool to use to be throwing out your brilliant ideas right <laughs> okay and that's the thing i used to think oh my god i have such good ideas you know i'm giving you this brilliant advice isn't that great and There is not one person in my life that appreciates it, by the way, and I I get paid for giving good advice, but it doesn't matter because if you're doing it with a family member, they're not going to be happy about it. Plus, by the way, just so you know, even in my
1: work, the good advice is not really helpful unless somebody is asking. I'm trying to describe this because I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, I saw it over and over in my my own situation. Anytime I made a recommendation or I, I stated you should do this, it's almost like they'll never, ever do. They'll never do what it is that I think that they should do. And the reason why we want to calm it down and not react is actually to get the other person to think. yes. If you react, you're thinking for them. They're not doing any thinking at all. And this is where this kind of myth about, oh, their brains are hijacked. They can't think. That's basically what you're saying when you're reacting. Oh, you can't think. I'll think for you because you can't think. You're never going to make the best decision or you're never going to come up with a, which maybe they won't. At first, right? I mean, you know, how many of us have made good decisions our entire life or come up with the best solution our entire life? Basically nobody because we're human. If you calm it down and you step back and you listen, their thoughts and their feelings and their ideas about things will start to spill out no matter how crazy they are, but it's theirs. And when people
2: come up with their own ideas, the likelihood of them succeeding with them are much higher because you're taking out the act of rebelliousness that most people have for advice. Because I know for myself, if somebody gives me advice, it becomes last on my list of what I'm interested in yeah, doing. that's right. then I feel like if I do it, I'm doing it for you. And that's not a good way to do it. So if somebody, and this is a treatment issue, when somebody asks for help, when somebody is willing to make phone calls, when somebody is willing to follow through, the treatment success rate goes up exponentially. That's why when we talk about it with the CRAFT model, the other model that's very big is doing an intervention. Now, you could do an intervention, and many people have done it, And you could get somebody into treatment, but you always have to look at what level of motivation are they walking into the treatment with? Because if they're not, they'll show up. But that doesn't mean that they could continue. They want to continue.
1: Right. But when it's their idea, when someone is saying to you, oh, I think I think I need an IOP. okay, that they're telling you what, oh, this is what I think I need or I think I need to go get a prescription or you know whatever it is i think i need residential treatment you're more likely to have the person because it's their idea i mean it makes total sense to me but it is an illogical process i think when we are in the middle of what we perceive to be a crisis and we've talked about this in a past in the past about crisis versus chronic Crisis usually there's blood involved or there's you know something really really drastic. Chronic is the same issue keeps coming up, coming up. It might feel like a crisis, but it isn't necessarily a crisis. But that's why that reactivity, you know, it's just ingrained on, in us, and it's based in fear and and frustration. Absolutely. And love. It's it's based in love as well. And care. And care.
2: And so I think a good place to start is with how effective is this intervention? Because that's really the question. It's kind of like I used to (laughs) have this dysfunctional thing that I used to do where I liked being right. I don't know if there's anybody else who has that, but I liked being right. So I would get involved and whoever I was talking to, and I would have this great argument of my case about how I was right. And then I started to realize, oh, if I do that, because people will be pissed off at me all the time. I'm like, well, I'm right. What's the problem? If I'm right, you're wrong. And so immediately I'm upsetting the other person. And then I started to realize, okay, if my goal is connection, if my goal is to have better relationships, if my goal is good communication, if my goal is to live in harmony with somebody else, I started to realize that. My quest for rightness was actually getting in my way. So I was like, all right, I need to try something else. So what happens is now I like try to find out, well, if maybe the other person's right, let me be interested in their perception. And that actually helped me listen better. And ironically, when I listen to somebody else, I find out that we're not that far off, which is exactly what you're saying, Glory, is that when you allow somebody to space to process on their own, like you listen to them and you validate and you ask them, oh, what? Tell me more about what you think about that. Or if you did this choice, what would happen? Let's take this and run with it. You but let them talk about it. People are much smarter and have much more data and have much better ideas than we would ever assume. But we don't know that because we don't give people a chance to speak.
1: You know, we've been going through this in rest meetings and I want to ask you your thoughts and then I'm hoping I can share something with you. But I think the biggest issue when family members or allies are working on this particular piece of it, like getting space, calming myself down in the moment, it's really, really hard. And families and allies often find themselves Not being able to do it like right away, almost like can't recognize the moment. Yeah. Oh, this is where I need to take the space. Any suggestions on how to go ahead and identify that? And and then I want to share something with you that we've started doing in the rest meetings. I
2: think that for me personally, the way I do it is there's a sensation I have in my body that I know I'm being hijacked it basically feels like either vibrating or I'm having a hard time getting a deep breath in or I feel like there's this tension in my body. So for me, I have to check out my body. Panic to me starts in the body and that sense of desperation starts in the body. It's like, it literally is a physiological hijacking where you could feel this kind of racy, heart beating Like It's almost like if you could feel your blood pressure rising, that's what it feels like. It's like you're having this physiological response of discomfort and like a faster pace feeling going on. So when you feel that, just know that it's exactly what we're talking about because your body at that point is the one making decisions, not your brain. But your brain starts looping and having all these horrible thoughts In response to your body, because it's an old primitive reaction. So if you're like repeating thoughts, oh, my God, oh, my God, or you're going into these very dark places of what possibly could happen, or if you're thinking the possible worst, that's how you know you're being hijacked. And number one, if that's happening is do not speak to the other person if you're in that place. And really, the way I think about is zip it. Just zip it. It's like you could listen, you could walk away, you could do all kinds of things, but do not use your mouth to speak or your fingers for texting or typing or whatever. You need to stop and just back up. And you could be in that state, but just don't communicate with the other person. So, and this goes back to my how do you minimize your need to repair things? Because that's another value that I have. It's like, the less I say, the less damage I cause, and then I don't have to feel bad.
1: Well, there's where the repairing comes into play, right? Maybe it's an attempt to repair the wrong thing, right? Like instead of attempting to repair your loved one, what you're trying to do is repair what's going on inside of you In your description. That's exactly how I have felt is for me, I get a tenseness in my stomach and I find myself sucking air in like I'm. And I know, okay, not good. And my thoughts are racing. They're all over the place. And all I want to do is when someone is saying something to me, all I want to do is take a jab, come back with a quip, you know, or, oh, and you think you don't do that, that kind of thing. And it's like, that's when I identify, oh, here it is. Here it is. And for me, I have to start talking to myself internally. And I literally start saying, don't say anything, don't talk, shut your mouth. And then I start, right, I start recognizing and I say, okay, uh, what are your skills, Laurie? You have a whole bunch of craft skills. So start thinking about what skill it is you're gonna employ right now. And then if it's still getting out of control, I just kind of tell myself, this is not a safe space for me to be talking. And so I need to get out of this space. And I'm going to do whatever it is that I need to get away from this particular conversation or whatever is going on.
2: That's a gigantic tool is to not engage.
1: I just want to share with you something that we're actually practicing in in rest meetings. We're practicing reflective listening. And something happened to me recently where I had to do this I had to calm myself down in the middle it was an incredibly intense conversation and I was like okay you're the one who's got to be responsible here and you got to calm yourself down and I got into my head but I ended up having to have to end the conversation give myself space I made that statement I said clearly right now I don't feel this is a safe space for me to be talking so I'm just I'm going to go over here and kind of be by myself. And while I was sitting there, I started thinking, you know, we don't practice identifying this particular moment in our rest meetings. So what I've decided to do is right now we're doing a lot of practice on reflective listening and I do it step by step. So we're going to parrot it back just three times. Then we're going to parrot it back three times. The fourth time you're going to make a mistake, see what happens. And then this last meeting, I was like, okay, your loved one's going to ramp it up. So whoever's playing the loved one, you're going to be accusatory and pointing fingers. and And then I want the conversation to stop for both of you. And whoever is the ally has to stop and write down what they're feeling and what they're thinking right now. And I started thinking about this and I'm like, I wonder if actually practicing that will help the family member or the ally when it's actually happening. Oh, this is when I need to stop and I need to start to kind of recognize what's going on inside of me and I need space or I need to calm it down, whatever it is. Yeah. And so it's
2: interesting about that when we, because I'm doing work with couples and families doing this reflective listening. And it's interesting for me as a therapist to watch people because there comes a point when you can see the other person spacing out, like the listener starts spacing out and they're like, I can't respond to this. I can't, or I can't do this anymore. And people just start getting upset. And I'm like, OK, you just stepped out of your role and you're in your own story right now, because again, when we're doing reflective listening, you are allowing yourself to be in the other person's story, which is the gift for me, because if I'm upset, but I let myself being in your story and I hear I really listen and I'm listening for what's important to you and what's what your perception of the world is, even if it doesn't match mine or these things that are really important to you or just allowing you to process and think, even though I don't agree with you, I actually get a break from my own reactivity. So what's interesting is that you can put a little label on, oh, this is when you have a hard time with it, it's usually I don't agree with you. This is a crazy story. I can't believe you can think this way. What are you kidding me? Or how could you think that's what I was doing or that's what I was thinking? But then for me, what my practice is, and it's gonna be, and I've been doing this for years. So this is the advanced version is, this is really interesting. So that's how I stay in. I'm like, whoa, I don't agree with this person at all, but this is kind of fascinating to me that this is what the person believes and thinks. So the part of me that's curious is able to stay engaged like wow how does this person think this way and the more i'm interested and curious the more i could stay in the more i take it personally i'm insulted or i feel guilty or i feel ashamed then i can't do this and that's what you're talking about is that's the moment to step and say okay i'm not doing this well i'm not giving you the time that you need let me step out so i can clear out and come back and really do this well
1: And that's exactly, that's exactly what went on in my head. Actually, the finger was being pointed and I, I sat there and I thought, okay, I'm feeling judged and I've got to get away from this because I'm not going to be productive in this conversation. It's, it's just not gonna, it's not going to work. I'm going to let my feelings take me over and that's what's happening. So I need to get myself into a safe space.
2: The most important thing when you're doing that, when you're stepping out to collect yourself, you need to do it in a very caring and respectful way. because a lot of times people feel like you're taking something away or you're rejecting them or you're shutting them down. And so the really important way to do that is to say, okay, hold up. I really, really wanna be present with you and I wanna do this and I wanna hear you, but I'm having a difficult time and you deserve better. I'm gonna take space. And I will come back and I want to finish this conversation with you. I want you to I want to hear the rest of what you have to say. I'm just not doing it well. So that's not fair to you. And you see how you take it off of that person. And that is such a loving thing to say to somebody. What you have to say is important. I really want to hear you, but I'm not doing a good job and I want to do a good job. So give me a second and I'm going to come back and I'm going to do this better. And then it gives you a goal. Calm yourself down clear yourself out. And what I say to myself is, this is not about me. This is about them. This is their story. This is what they're processing. This is their stuff. So how do I, I go calm myself down. And then I'm like, okay, I'm curious about their story, but their story it doesn't make it like they're right. And I'm wrong or not making me wrong. That's just an interesting take on a particular story. And that's all I want to know is what's your story.
1: What's your story.
2: I like that. What's your story. What's your story. Yeah. You got to go Brooklyn on this one. (laughs) What's your story. Tell me your story. And what happens is if it's your story, as we've been saying all along, we could be in the same situation and be supposedly perceiving the, the same thing, but we don't because Your story in that moment is going to be different from my story.
1: Exactly. Which is why it's so important to try not to take it personally, that it actually isn't personal. Your story is your story. My story is my story. The other person's story is their story. And that's just how it is. And we're different because it's funny. I just
2: did this with my partner yesterday where... I was trying to mirror at first because it was about me and what I do and whatever. And, you know, that's the hardest thing because you want to be like, no, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this. And and I thought I was like mirroring and hearing. And she just kept saying to me, you don't get it. And I feel like you're not really caring or this isn't interesting to you or whatever. And I'm like, OK, I'm not doing a good job. So that's my modified reflective listening, which is not always satisfying to somebody depending on how strong they feel. So I'm like, OK. I know what to do. And I went into the absolute repeating every word that she was saying. And then what I will often do is embellish it a little bit more so she knows I'm getting it. So it's like and then, you know, here I am. I'm not being considerate and I'm just coming in, doing my own thing. And you feel like I don't hear you or see you. By the way, it's like people like, oh, Kaylee, you're so good at this. You know, I'm like everybody else. I'm good at it when I pay attention and I focus. But when I do like my little so-so version of it, it's not satisfying. So I have to like dig down and like, okay, every word here matters. And I need to like stop being distracted from all these other things or like wanting to get this conversation over with as quickly as possible and dig in and do this well and listen to every word and repeat back every word. Cause that's required at this moment. And then at the end, it was like, okay, that worked because I did it well, as opposed to partial.
1: And I strongly believe this. I believe that healing begins when people feel heard. Yes. That's it. So I think we're coming to the end of the podcast. We'll kind of end on that note, but could you just give a quick summary of what it is that we talked about today? The
2: summary is that when difficult things happen, it is very hard not to react. Whether you're listening to something that somebody did that feels like a crisis, or you're trying to have a conversation with somebody where it feels really hard for you to hear what they have to say, that often will trigger reactivity. And what we're saying here is that we need to use tools to calm our system down, whether it's taking space, not speaking, absolutely doing really good reflectivity so that you're listening to the person's story and not trying to make it your own and we're not trying to convince them or give them advice and you're really just listening there are many many ways and we and on the site you can get find even more ways to calm your system down so that you could be present in a way that goes back to you healing yourself and that consequently will help the other person feel calmer, more confident, and they could start healing themselves.
1: Awesome, awesome. Hey, Kayla, one thing I wanted to I wanted to talk to you about and let our listeners know is that right now we're running a special on the Allies in Recovery website. So we offer a five-hour training. It's called Becoming an Ally. And if members work on doing half of the modules in a 10-day period, they can get that training for free. So I just want to let our listeners know, head on over to the website, check it out, see if it's something you'd be interested in, and maybe you could take advantage of it. It's a $250 training, and you'd be getting it for free.
2: Wow. And even if you wind up not doing it that way and just paying the $250, there is something very powerful about doing immersion in anything. And what this training is, is about immersing yourself in it. So getting all of the tools and having an opportunity to really kind of dig in and practice and be in it so that you're giving yourself this experience. And I personally think that for the loved, our loved ones that we're working with that to see that as you doing your own treatment, like this is you having a treatment weekend or a treatment three days where you're giving yourself the opportunity to really dig in and be in this and really get it on a different level and really absorb the information differently. So it's a very powerful opportunity for people to take advantage of whether they want to do it for free or even pay for it.
1: Yep. Awesome. Thank you. And we'll talk again soon. See you soon. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you.